We got separated from a convoy on the same trip and had to hide from Saddam's kill squad. They looked through the window of the house where we were, looked up, left, right and forwards and did not look down, which is the only natural place to look, where we were hiding underneath the windowsill. So I just saw God's incredible provision to the point where it was absolutely terrifying, but incredibly exhilarating because you just yeah. think it was life or death and it turned out to be life. Welcome to What's the Story? My name is Matt Edmondson and this is a podcast full of stories about faith and courage from everyday people. And today I'm chatting with Mark Buchanan about his Christian journey, challenges he's faced in life and some of the lessons he's learned along the way. But before we get into it, uh, let me give a shout out to a few past episodes that I think you should check out. Uh, why not check out episode 12 of What's the Story with uh, Mark Mitchell, uh, where we talked about putting family before work. Mark is such a great guy, such a legend. So do check out that episode. And also check out one of our recent episodes, episode 20, Finding Meaning in Your Life with Jared Mitchell. He's another great friend. Uh, of mining, you're definitely going to want to check his out as well. You can find these and our entire archive of episodes and live streams uh, on our website for free at www.crowd.church. And whilst you're there, make sure you sign up for the newsletter. And each week we will email you the links and the notes and the transcript notes uh, from our podcast conversations. They come straight to your inbox totally for free. Now, this episode is brought to you by Crowd Online Church. Mark, you know as well as I do, not, not everybody wants to go to church and not everybody can even get into a church building. And this is where online church works super well as it is a safe space to explore the Christian faith. And the thing that I love about Crowd is that you get to join in and shape the conversation as they don't just talk at you. So if you've never been to church before or you are looking for a new church, do check out Crowd Church. The website is, again, www.crowd.church. Or if you've got any questions, you can email me directly at matt at crowd.church and I will try my level best to answer them. So let's talk about Mark, Mark Buchanan, who is an inspiring legend. Yes, he is. He's been a Christian since he was just three years old. He's done it all from Bible college to preaching on the streets, planting a church, leading worship. He's preached over 20,000 people, organized worldwide conferences and even smuggled Bibles. Oh yes, now currently he is working on a Christian response to poverty in the world of fair trade. Mark, great to have you on the show, man. How are we doing? Yeah, I'm doing really well, thank you, and thanks for having me. Oh, no, it's great to have you here. Really, really great. So we read there in the bio, right, that you've been a Christian since you were three years old. Do you remember that day? Very, very clearly, yeah. And it's, uh, yeah, it, it sounds weird even when I say it, but I uh, I was just a bit over three. Mum and Dad were downstairs playing music on the other old record player, and and. All I can say is this must have been a spiritual transaction because there's just no way my three-year-old brain could have processed this. But I went downstairs and I said to my mum and dad, what do I do about my naughty things? And they kind of were a bit <laughs> bewildered. They said, well, what do you mean? I said, well, you know, how does God feel about my naughty things? 
now I have to say, mum, uh, dad was the pastor of a church in Liverpool, City Mission Church. So I grew up in a Christian home. So it's not like I'd never heard about God or Jesus or any of those things. But I was really troubled that I knew somehow God was not happy with my naughty behavior. Mm. Um, possibly modeled after the fact that my parents were occasionally not happy with it <laughs> either. So, <laughs> I did, you know, naughty behavior is not a good thing. I did know that. <laughs> But again, my parents were brilliant with me and they just explained, you know, very, very simply that there was a man called Jesus. And if you asked him, he would take away your naughty things and help you not do them. So I gave my life to the Lord uh, at that point. Um, And yeah, I've never really looked back since then. Mm. Um, I think a lot of people, you know, in my just immediate preteens, I sort of became a Christian a couple more times because, you know, you'd go to church and you'd hear somebody yeah. say something you'd think, oh, and I wanted to respond somehow. But but I've known ever since then that, you know, my life's not mine, it's his. Um, and I think if he hadn't got me then, being a fairly strong-willed person, maybe he wouldn't have got me. And I think mm. that's the, the grace of God sort of hounding us to make sure we don't spend a big chunk of our lives, you know, totally wasting it. So it's the grace of God for sure. Wow. Well, that sounds quite epic. So how were you, uh, did you ever talk to your mum and dad about this later in years? What did they think when when it all happened? Yeah. They, they were really shocked by it at the time, um, but just had a sense that God was up to something. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I think they played it very sensitively. Um, you know, and, and later in life, we talked about it and the need to, you know, walk out our salvation and that repentance is a deliberate change of behavior. So we came back to it and sort of deepened the understanding of what had happened over a period of time. Um, but then interestingly, my sister, not long after, also very similar experience. So I think God was definitely at work mm. in, in that house. Yeah. That sounds amazing. That sounds amazing. So, yeah, what was it like growing up as a, as a, as, as we like to call them, a PK, a pastor's kid? Yeah, pastor's kid. Yeah, inside the house, fantastic. Outside the house, absolute nightmare. Um, <laughs> so, it, Liverpool was a very, very sectarian city in those days. You know, mm. it's changed remarkably since then it's still got its problems obviously but but then it was a very violent very heavy place um so at school i was beaten up pretty much every day for six straight years to the wow. point where they used, we had a boys playground and a girls playground at rathbone county primary um and they would let me out a couple of minutes early through the girls exit because that faced across the road to the entries entryways that ran behind the back of the houses and I would have to make my way home it wasn't that big a journey but pretty much by running through the back entries and then just run across the road back into the entry the other side wow. so if I didn't I'd get wow. on the on the way out so so it was a very very costly decision you know and I've always been outspoken even when I was young and I stuck to my guns and I would speak up which possibly didn't make life easier but yeah I paid quite a high price for that uh that decision but in a funny sort of way it just made me more determined and i and mm. i knew then it was mm. real because of the reaction to it i was getting um but home was a incredibly safe space and you know the lord was present in our house and i think that made it safe and that's how i got through it i think 
So you were bullied <laughs> so, then because of your Christian faith? Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, it was, uh, and, and particularly it was because my dad was the pastor at, at the end of the street, and for whatever reason, that's always what was being said as I was being you know, kicked or punched or had lighted fireworks, stuck down my socks, got thrown out of a window a couple of times. And um, there was something really um, yeah, anti-Christian there. Um, mm. And then on top of that, at that time, there was massive uh, tension between Catholics and Protestants. And um, so, yeah, it was a strange time. This is the sort of mid-60s you're talking, so a long time ago. Um, but yeah, it was not a fun time. No kidding. Have you met the 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 kids that bullied you? Have you met them since? Funnily enough, I've met not the ones who bullied me. Um, and, and interestingly, two of the main ringleaders are already dead, so they died quite early. Wow. You know, nothing related to me. But, uh, they they were pretty violent and ended up getting in over their heads. But I am in touch on Facebook with a few people who were my sort of contemporaries there, um, some of whom were, you know, quite friendly towards me. And there was a couple who weren't at the time but are now. So, um, so yeah, it's funny how things change, isn't it, over mm. time? Yeah, it is. Because I remember, I mean, listening to you talk, I was bullied when I was at school. Um, not because I was a Christian, because I wasn't at that particular point in time. I was bullied because I was a gingerhead kid with national health glasses that was pretty, you know, pretty lame and pretty weak. And so... Um, yeah, I got I got bullied in the in the playground, and it, and I I look back at it now, and you know that there's those events that sort of shape you, aren't there? And that was that yeah. was definitely one of them, um, because my mum said to me, uh, "I've had enough of this. I've had enough of coming into school. You're going to learn how to stand on your own two feet. You're going to learn to stand up for yourself and fight." And she shipped me off to judo lessons and karate lessons and all kinds of stuff, and um, it's just fascinating how that changed my perception of who I was. And even at such a young age, you know, and that sort of confidence that came from that. Um, yeah. But it isn't, I still remember getting bullied and I still remember who bullied me, but I've never, I've never seen them since. I wouldn't even know where they are, which oh, is quite interesting. interesting. Yeah. And I wonder actually if they would even remember doing it. Yeah, probably not, I, I guess, you know, I think... Mm. In a way, it's deliberate. If people are punching you and kicking you, that that's not happening by accident. But you just think the mindset that that was coming out of was probably very, very deep-seated and not necessarily mm. conscious processed at the time. And, and I'm sure most of those people are absolutely lovely people, and they'll be mums and dads, or dads in particular, in, in my case. And I'm sure that will have mellowed um, a lot of their thinking. Mm. Um, but what was interesting to me was... My, my dad used to, he had loads of these pithy little sayings, but one of them was, nothing on earth makes sense without a heavenly perspective. So early on, I learned to sort of read and process what was happening to me and what was happening around me in a different context. So if you mm. only see it in an earthly context, that's just overwhelming, whereas they helped me see that and say, but there is an earthly purpose in, sorry, a heavenly purpose in everything that happens to us on earth if we learn to see the heavenly perspective. So mm. how, you know, in modern parlance now, it's how we frame what happens to us, psychologists would say. Yeah. But framing what was happening as if it had an eternal significance, that was a really 
important lesson. And then one that I came to see for myself was that absolutely everything under God is redeemable. So either you become identified in your own mind as I'm the victim that everybody hates and, you know, this is just my lot in life, or you learn, no, that's not who I am. This is for a reason that this is happening to me and that God can redeem even the worst of our circumstances. And certainly now later in life, given the sort of job that I've been doing and a lot of things that have gone on in my life, that resilience that comes of recognizing, you know, life is not simple and life is not mm. always that much fun, but purpose mm. makes sense of everything. And under God's hands, even the worst things that have happened to us become tools in his hands and shape us for the calling that he's clearly had all along. And yeah. so I don't believe he caused it to happen to me, but he's very opportunistic, isn't he? And saying, okay, <laughs> we can turn good. Yeah, we can redeem this. That's, that's, that's quite yeah. interesting. But how did, because I'm interested, right? I, I'm, I know how bullet shaped me, Mark, when I was, when I was yeah. younger. And I, I can see how it shaped my life. And I think yeah. if people, I mean, if people ask me now and they, you know, I look back, I, I can say, yes, it shaped me, but I don't think it bothers me now. Maybe it does. I don't know. You know, maybe some psychologists will tell me that I'm, I'm completely wrong. Um, but at, you see, at the time I wasn't a Christian, so I didn't have to reconcile my faith in a loving God with this going yeah. on to a kid in, in a way that I didn't understand. So... Yeah. I guess my question to you is twofold. Has Did the bullying shape you? And how did you at the time then reconcile these two things? So it's definitely shaped me. It must have done. Um, I don't feel bitter about it. I don't feel like I'm carrying residual anger. I've got no desire to go and find those people and tell them what I think. Um, but it was part of my formative years and it definitely has formed me. Um, so I think... Whether this is a good thing or not, I don't know. It probably depends who you talk to. But most of us are driven by the desire to be liked. I've never really had that because mm. I grew up assuming everybody didn't like me and there was no possibility of being liked. So I stopped expecting it. Mm. And I can see in some ways that's probably not a good thing. Mm. Um, but in other ways, given that I've spent a lot of time, you know, standing on telephone boxes, preaching the gospel or smuggling Bibles in places where you're not supposed to do that. I wasn't perhaps as impacted by that as other people mm. would be because people's good opinion of me has never been particularly important mm. uh, or even expected. So I can see areas where it's a definite positive to have come mm. through that, to have come through it positively. And I have to say home life was brilliant. Where I had a fantastic childhood. Um, despite that yeah if home life had been difficult and i was being bullied i could see that that could have really warped me or twisted me in some pretty unpleasant ways um but god had a channel into my circumstances because of my parents um and then i don't think i ever really questioned to be quite honest uh why would god let that happen you know i grew up with a mum who was you know very badly affected by ms so a lot of the time you'd think well who you know why would i whinge you know <laughs> look at what my mum is going through why yeah. would i complain about my minor difficulties um but i suppose also that's the the sort of theological framework i was raised in is that god never promised us an easy life down here what we're really playing for is eternity mm. um and that's what 
factors and quite often there's a strong connection between it being difficult down here but then the knowledge of god that comes through that and therefore mm. our expectations of what heaven will be like and our relationship with god and dare we say even the rewards for faithfulness often are earned at the cost of some suffering so yeah it, uh, whether that make it's i'm just shallow or whether i've just been at peace with it i think i've been at peace with it to say well life is tough but mm. it's all about it really um and you can go too far with that obviously you know it's like we're here we're supposed to be here for a reason you can't just wish away your life and go straight to heaven um but yeah the earthly perspectives never give you the right answer mm. That's so powerful, so powerful. So tell me about, I mean, you mentioned the telephone boxes and the Bible smuggling. Tell me, I'm really fascinated about the Bible smuggling. Ever since I read, um, oh, what's the God smuggler? Smuggler, Brother Andrew. Brother Andrew, that's the guy. Um, ever since I read that, I've just been intrigued. And so here you are, a real life sort of Brother Andrew. Tell me about Bible smuggling. So I was sort of conned into it, if the, if the truth be known. So uh, <laughs> it wasn't like, I am now going to become a Bible smuggler. So there was a Bible teaching ministry called Derek Prince Ministries. Derek Prince was a Brit, very... Yeah. Uh, Amazing Bible uh, teacher. Yeah, incredible teacher. Mm. Uh, and a very, very unusual man, very radical man. Yeah. Uh, massive influence on me. So we were friends with some people who ran the sort of China side of Derek Prince's ministry. So he had offices in quite a lot of parts of the world. And because they knew of me through my parents, the office got into difficulties in the UK and a lot of the key staff left. So they asked me if I would step in just for a while and stabilize it whilst they found a replacement for the, the director who'd left. So I said I could give them three months. I was in the process of setting up a business. So I said, look, I can put that on hold and I'll come and do this for you. Um, and then three months became six months. And then they said, look, actually, we think probably you're the person. So why don't you just take the job, which I said yes to. And then about a year later, they said, oh, by the way, whoever runs the UK office also runs the Middle East offices, um, operations. And I said, oh, okay, that's great. And where are the offices? Said, well, there's only a couple because most of what goes on isn't strictly legal. Um, and it's like, oh, okay. But I'd already said yes at, at that point. Mm. Um, so Derek at that point was based out in Jerusalem, in Israel. So it started off going in and out of Israel. Um, and then I was introduced to somebody who's become a lifelong friend and an incredible educator on Middle East politics. Uh, he's an American. I can't name him because he's still active. Um, fluent in Hebrew, fluent in Arabic, fluent in both cultures. And definitely that was a provision of God. And he absolutely opened my eyes to so much about the Middle East. And mm. the big concept, you can't understand Israel without understanding the Arab world. And nor can you relate rightly to the Arab world without understanding the Jewish people and where they've come from. And so it's the, the two-eyed vision, it's called. Um, and then as an extension of that, the motivation was everybody should have a choice. So here, if you want to be Christian, Hindu, Jewish, Baha'i, Muslim, you can just be it. And mm. it's a remarkable freedom that we take for granted. That's not the case in the Middle East. So I just felt it wasn't just that people were not allowed access to the Bible. Um, so we had... Uh, 
at, at its height, I was running covert networks in every single Middle East country. Um, and in some of those, I knew I had more coverage than even the CIA did because everybody knew who the CIA were. It's so funny. You go to certain <laughs> places. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that house on the corner, you know. So, it's, uh, um, so it was terrifying. But again, it's it's that I was looking for reality, you know. I didn't want God theoretically. Um, so I'll tell you one story. Uh, I'll have to change a couple of names, but we were on a trip through Kurdistan from Turkey all the way across to the Iranian border, and a man who was with us. Um, had been of some months previously and had bumped into a Jewish woman um, in a city called Suleimania. She'd married a Muslim man in the 1950s, had gone to the uh, Baghdad where he had work, and then he died and she moved back. But by then, all of the Iraqi Jews had been airlifted to Israel. So this guy who was with us we'll call him Fred, it's not his name, had agreed to meet her in the first week of May in the market square in Suleimania. But for various reasons, we ended up there in April. So then we were going to have to go on this mission to try and see if we could find her because we were early. So you had to have Peshmergas with you, which are the sort of uh, Kurdish freedom fighters who'd been fighting against Saddam. You weren't allowed out without a couple of Peshmergas with you. You also had to carry a Kalashnikov when you're in convoy, otherwise they wouldn't let you on the convoy. So it's a, a real head screw, if we can say that, in that you know, you're know you there to spread you know, the news of peace, but you have to be armed if you want to get any transport. <laughs> yeah. We've got our Peshmergas with us, and we decided, well, we better go and try and find this woman. Of course, a lot of life takes place in the late evenings, well into the night, so it was dark by the time we left this the house that we were staying in. And as we stepped out of the house, a voice out of the shadow said, is that you, Mr. Fred? And as soon as they hear this, our Peshmergas jump on us, throw us on the floor and lie on top of us thinking we're about to get ambushed. And finally, it turns out, you know, it becomes clear there's no violence going on. This man steps out of the shadows, said, I'm the son of the woman you're supposed to be meeting. And the Lord woke her in a dream and told her that you're coming early and no. that I have to stand in and wait for some Westerners to come out of that blue door, and they're the people that we need to meet with. So we meet with wow. this guy, the mother. We meet the mother. And in the meantime, it turns out that her sister lived three doors down from Fred, where he lived in Israel. So it was just such a remarkable story. Um, so that was the kind of reality you had to live in, doing that sort of work. Um, you know, we got separated from a convoy on the same trip and had to hide from Saddam's kill squad. They looked through the window of the house where we were, looked up, left, right, and forwards, and did not look down, which is the only natural place to look, where we were hiding underneath the windowsill. So I just saw God's incredible provision to the point where it was absolutely terrifying, but incredibly exhilarating, because you just yeah. think it was life or death, and it turned out to be life, you think. So it was very, very rewarding. Um, and then meeting people who were really putting a lot on the line. You know, for me, if I'd gone to prison, I would have definitely been beaten and tortured, but I probably would have eventually been released. Yeah. Most of the people we were with, you just never ever see them again if they were taken. So 
to see ordinary people doing extraordinary things under the power of of the lord was uh, it, some of the most meaningful months of my life to be quite honest um, yeah that's incredible that's incredible so yeah. how long were you with the Derek prince ministries in just under 13 years in the end um so uh yeah uh, and again to it's a privilege he was a very hard to quantify him in many ways he had many of the same gifts that c.s lewis has he was a mm. phenomenal intellect and then god took him uh during the war he was a conscientious objector much to the horror of his entire family all of whom had been high-ranking military officers uh, but he got saved during his training and then was sent out was at el alamein um and then ended up in libya i think it was um and got ill and spent almost two years in a sick hospital, but just reading and reading and reading his Bible. And then heard about a Danish Lutheran missionary called Miss Christensen, who was in Ramallah in Palestine. And she could confer the gift of speaking in tongues. And he was intrigued by this. So went to her meetings and then felt the Lord saying that he should marry her. And she was decades older than him. And she said, well, the Lord has not shown me, but come back next week. I'll pray about it and let's see. And when he came back, she said, yes, I think the Lord is saying that. So no way. He, yeah, marries her. She'd adopted six orphan girls, so Derek became an adoptive father. But she was really, really tuned into the things of the Holy Spirit. And she, in many ways, built him. She mm. saw what he really was. She had God's eyes on him. And she really gave him the courage and the support uh, and his ministry just flourished. And then they went to the States and there was full gospel businessmen's fellowship international it was like a, you'd invite your business colleagues and there'd be a speaker and then you'd chat afterwards. That was huge in the States. Um, and that's when he became famous. But again, he got this from Churchill, but it's, if you can't explain something simply, it's because you haven't understood it properly yet. Yeah. <laughs> spend hours trying to find the simplest way to express a theological concept or the connection between two biblical ideas and that's what made his teaching so powerful and so mm. easily mm. distributable and easily translatable because he never went in for fancy language or complicated stories it was simplicity 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 so to be in that atmosphere for 13 years was an incredible uh, privilege amazing um, yeah he shaped me a lot yeah i bet he did jeez that's um that's because i you know there are a few people that um i think have sort of shaped me in in many ways and derek prince would be one of them because we just mm. i mean it was it was all tapes back then uh Mark, wasn't yep. it we just my, i remember my wife and i early in our marriage would sit around the dining room table and we listened to his tapes on hebrews and we listened to his tapes on romans and here was a man that did not have what you would traditionally call um i said traditionally it's not what most gen x's would expect a, a leader to have he, he wasn't like I mean, he was charismatic, but he wasn't. Do you know what I mean? And he was very monotone in his voice, but you just got sucked into his teaching. And if you're listening and you've not heard his teaching on the Book of Romans or the Book of Hebrews, honestly, get the because I think it's all online now. Whatever it is, it costs to buy it. I would buy it because that that was yeah. just sensational stuff, right? Yeah, and it um, really was. Yeah, just it his, really early, was. His, his books. You know, a blessing and curse was just. 
I think that transformed yep. our marriage as well. Um, yep. And then he, he did a book, I can't remember what it was called, but it was based the sort of six foundations of Christian living or something like that, yep. where he took a scripture, you know. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I can, I look back and I go, he definitely formed me in a lot of ways, yep. you know, really got yep. into his teaching. Um, yeah. And, 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 and nowadays everybody ex needs to be showy and whatever and yeah. it's, it's a bit naughty in a way but i was on the international council that ran the whole worldwide organization for nine or ten of the years that i was there and we were spending thousands videotaping derek and this is like beta cam sp huge cameras and big setup because we wanted to capture all the teaching that we could and make it available and we were in one of the International Council meetings, and I was being a little bit facetious, but I said, look, we've just spent, I can't remember what we'd spent, but let's say £3,000, that's a long time ago, um, capturing him at a conference. And I said, the thing is, he never moves. So instead of spending all this money on video, let's just record the audio, and then let's have photographs of Derek made in every standard television size, and we'll sell cassettes, or uh, DAT tape was just starting to come in, four pieces of blue tack and a photo of Derek. So you blue tack the photo of Derek <laughs> your telly, listen to the tape, and it's exactly the same as watching the video. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but the thing, there was no, there was no Derek Prince getting in the way. It was the word, the Holy yeah. Spirit speaking through Derek, and none of him in the way, or very mm. little of him in the way. And I think that's why he was so powerful, that yeah. there was no human showing off going on. Um, I think God honored that. And again, I love doing keynote presentations. I almost never preach without some kind of visual aids behind me. But Derek would say, but why would you do that? And said, we just need the word, that's all. Um, mm. And if the word's not going to do it, your you know, pathetic little presentation isn't really going to make the differences. <laughs> you just think, well, he's got a point. Yeah, the Apostle Paul never had... Um keynote did he uh no. but it, it is it is fascinating and the fact that you got to sit under that i'm very envious in a lot of ways because i would love to have sat <laughs> under Derek prince for a number of years um yeah. so that was life transforming then so yeah. Yeah. here you are you're working for you know Derek prince ministries um which is dynamic ministry um you're smuggling bibles you're, you know, all these crazy things are happening. You're getting jumped on by guys with guns to try and protect you from a guy in a doorway waiting for the Westerners to come out of the, the room, which is an amazing story. How was life for you in all of this? Was it was it all sunshine and rainbows? Was it all um, I'm I'm on no. top of the world kind of thing, or was it different? It wasn't. Uh, yeah, I mean, a lot of it was tremendous, you know. And it's I've been gone 14 years, so I've been out of. Derek Prince Ministries as long as I was in and you can tell you in my voice just to talk about it it, it was such a good thing mm. but it actually broke my marriage too or I broke my marriage um so the stress of what I was doing I didn't realize this and I wasn't intelligent enough to spot what was happening but I would say and I, I've talked to a lot of people who've said similar things sometimes the biggest threat to your relationship with God is how busy you are working for him. And mm. I, it sounds um, but it was a very high stress lifestyle. Certainly the smuggling parts of it were, um, and it's a very disjointed life. Um, and for most of the time I was single while I was doing that, but I, I'd married towards the end of my time there. 
And it got to the point where, unless it was life or death, I couldn't really register it. It mm. didn't just get on my radar. So, you know, humdrum things. I, I've always hated small talk. I've never been good at that. But it got that unless it was really, really high stakes, I just couldn't handle it or couldn't find any interest in it. But of course, a marriage or any relationship, you end up talking an awful lot about nothing. Mm. Uh, but that's how we build relationships, isn't it? And and I could I could feel that I was becoming a less and less pleasant version of myself. And it it, it was cumulative stress or acute adrenaline poisoning, somebody called it. Um, you know, and you'd like it's the adrenaline junkies who, you know, have to do one more thing and then, you know, the parachute doesn't open or, or whatever. Mm. So it in many ways it formed me. It built my spiritual foundations and it certainly built another layer of bricks on top of what my own father had imparted to all of us, my brother, my sister, and me. But at the same time, there was a corrosive element to it. And it's not Derek Prince Ministry's fault. You know, it was I wasn't learning how to balance the extreme tension of being overseas and doing what I was doing with the need to actually have an ordinary life. Mm. Um, so it was a very difficult time, you know, and out of that, I left as a divorced man with two very, very, very small children who now lived 500 miles away in a completely different country. So, um, oh. you know, God is good. God's grace is always there, but you have to live with the consequences of your actions. So, you know, forgiveness, I know the eternal consequences of what I did are forgiven and non-existent. The earthly consequences are in the hands of people and they nearly always last for a very long time, which, mm. which they have. Um, so then it was f about finding God in a much less traditional way, a much less showy way, a much less respectable way. In effect, you know, and it, a friend of mine, the same Fred that we've been talking about, he said to me, uh, you just need to know one thing, Mark said, the church is the only army in the world that shoots its own wounded. Yeah, um, that was definitely my experience. Mm. Um, and again, it's imperfect people all around, so mm. I, I, I'm not bitter about it. But I think Christians like to see other Christians suffer because it makes them feel better about themselves. So it wasn't even like you had crowds of people urging you on. It felt like a very lonely, um, lonely route. You know, so I lost my job, my house, uh, my church, I was leading worship, my ministry had to put down, and it was right to put those things down because I'd sinned, um, which mm. is why the marriage. So, again, no complaint about that at all. Um, I wish people had had the courage to try and redeem me rather than just, you know, take dump care. me. Yeah. Um, but I did it, so I have to take the consequences. But in But I found, and this is the interesting thing, I found the same Lord in a totally different way and you know it, it was just earth shattering it's like the consequences were so profound and so instantaneous it was really destabilizing um and i was i would talk to driving i'd just get in the car and drive and sometimes i'd end up hundreds of miles away without even realizing how i got there you know but i was just so distraught and i was out in the car about two o'clock in the morning shouting you know inside the car and say lord you better well swear word be real because if you're not i'm making decisions based on you being real and i would make the opposite decisions if it was up to me um, yeah 
and I'm not saying it was an audible voice, but it was pretty close to one. And he said, but if I wasn't real, you wouldn't be this angry, would you? (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, that's just a brilliant answer. (laughs) It was, it it really stopped me. I thought, you know what, stop whinging. Um, So I had two daughters. One was about two and a half. One was not even one and a half. And I knew I was going to lose them unless I made them my absolute number one priority. Um, so I thought, okay, that needs to be the focus of life. Um, I ended up getting a job because the pastor of the church that I was in worked for Franklin Covey, an American training uh, and consulting company. He said, I'm about to resign, so I know there's a job going. Um, so I applied and got a completely different job with them, but it paid an awful lot of money, but you didn't get employed every single day. So I needed blocks of time to spend with my girls. Um, and I thought, okay, I've got to learn how to be a single dad at 500 miles distance when they're tiny. Um, but it was interesting and I'll try not to get emotional about this, but I had no clue what to do. And it was terrifying because I thought being a father is really important to me. And I thought mm. I've already blown it away. But if there's a way to hold them, I need to. Um, mm. So I set off, say, the longest I would ever let them go without us spending time was three weeks, which at that age is a long time. But the longest we'd ever go without talking would be two days. So even mm. though I was flying all around the world, I'd get up at four in the morning if I was in China or somewhere. You know, and they're so small, you know, you might talk for two minutes and they'll just put the phone down and wander off. But they were hearing my voice constantly. And I just felt like I'd have ideas about how to do this, except I knew I wasn't having the ideas, mm. if you know what I mean. Mm. And mm-hmm. The tenderness of God and the mercy of God, which people weren't really showing. Some were. I had a few close friends who were fantastic. One particular friend, Eric Camp, he said, mate, you've lost the short game. This is all about the long game uh, yeah. now. So focus on the long game. But I just felt like the Lord aided and abetted me. Um, and I repented as widely and as comprehensively as I could. I stood up in front of the entire church whose offices were in the building that I bought for Derek Prince Ministries. I was a worship leader. I was one of the main preachers. And I had to stand up and tell them what I'd done. Mm. Uh, not all story details, but we were meeting in a school and I was sat at the back with a very angry wife. And we had an aisle that went from front to back. There was, let's say, a meter wide. It might have not even been that wide. So going down to the front was no problem because people were used to me being at the front. And I stood and I said, look, this is, this is what I've done. Um, and that's why it's right that I'm stepping down and, and, and. But then it's the walk of shame all the way to the back of the yeah, uh, geez, yeah. And I knew that that was going to be the difficult Point. I just thought I have to do this because if I'm right with God, I actually don't care what anybody else thinks as long as mm. he will be with me. And as I walked up to the back of the church, people just kept leaning out and touching me and saying, thank you for that. We're with you, mate. It, it was just absolutely wow. devastating in a good way. It just broke me. Um, mm. and I just felt that was the Lord saying, that's how I think. And that's all that matters. Um, so, you know, sin is sin and you can't hide from it and you can't pretend mm. it isn't sin. It is what it is. And you just got to take it and say, I have sinned. Lord, forgive me. How do I put this right to the extent that I can with everybody who's been touched by this? And I think that f- freed me and the Lord up 
because we didn't have anything in the way and the devil couldn't condemn me because it was wide out in the open anyway. So for years since then, it's just like I'd keep having these, oh, I know what we can do or here's how we can make use of the phone. So we'd end up doing these stupid games like they'd be eating something. I have to guess what they're eating by the noise it makes on the phone or <laughs> on holiday somewhere. I have to guess are they walking on the sand or the stones or the grass Um and we just squeezed everything out of a telephone conversation that you could. And then Apple brought out iChat, which was this revolutionary two-way video communication. So then we'd do puppet shows and we'd read books and we'd sing. Um, but I just knew, I, this isn't me. I don't know how to do, you know, but I knew that God was deliberately investing because he's a father and he's got this mm. soft spot for fathers. Um so although it was my fault and I should have managed the stress and the pressure better, God just switched modes with me and said, okay, well, if this is what we're doing, here's how I would advise you approach this. Um, and I have an absolutely phenomenal relationship with my two girls. And I've now mm. remarried. I've got three stepdaughters. I've got five girls who are absolutely fantastic, all of them. Um, but God's redemptive determination is just unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's an incredible story, um, Mark, and an incredible story. So you're, you've now got five daughters um, and your yep. two daughters that were living uh, in Holland 500 miles away. Um, you're getting on well with now. Whereabouts in the world are they? So they're still both in uh, in Holland, but in a different place. They're doing university, and well, one's in university, one's getting ready. So they're Dutch. My wife is Spanish, so we have a Anglo-Spanish-Dutch commune going on here. So it's, uh, yeah, but, hang on. but again, <laughs> work, work, work that out. Let me just draw a map. Hang on. <laughs> yeah. So, but again, God lavishes on us, doesn't He? You know, mm. and I think. My view is we run away from sin and back to Derek, you know, we allow Satan in, but when nobody talks about Satan or deliverance these days or not many people, but I think we need to see the world for what it is and we need to see sin for what it is, but not be scared of it because God's in the forgiving business. Mm. And I feel I kept putting one foot in front of the other. I did the plodding and the, you know, my favorite Churchill quote is just never, ever give up. Yeah. Um, and I remember the second time I went to Holland, I really messed it up. I lost my temper. I was full of stress and tension, and they were playing up in the car, and I shouted at them. I thought, that's it. I'm a terrible father. It's all over. And I was on the ferry on the way back to Harwich, just feeling desolate. And again, it was the Lord dropped it in my mind. You know, it isn't my best day that matters with the girls, and it's not my worst day that counts. It's the average of all the days that we spend. Yeah. And if you just keep going, you will – the good days will outweigh the bad days. The the things where it works will outweigh the things where it doesn't work. And if you just keep going, you're going to have to learn how to change nappies and how to entertain a two-year-old and how to get the right feed for them. And it, they're all solvable problems. If you don't give up, God will take you somewhere amazing that you'll never believe is possible. And if people had told me then where I'd end up, I would have just laughed in their face because it was just so ridiculous. Um, but on my youngest daughter's 12th birthday, we, every second year we do some mega trips. So we flew to Orlando and then zigzagged all the way up to New York 
and back again and then went to hell. Sorry, Disney. Um, <laughs> we happened to be in New York um, on my youngest daughter's 12th birthday. And she said, you go up the Empire State Building. You got this vow that you could go up and then you were allowed to go back for a second time after 10 o'clock at night because it's open until like two in the morning. So we went up for the second time and we're looking out over the the skyline of New York and with my two doors, we're having an absolute ball. And I just started crying like a baby. Wow. And you know, they're a little bit shocked. There's loads of people up there. So I'm like trying to hang over the bow, you know, the thing, make it look like I'm, you know, just being moved by the view. But I just thought we've made it. We've done it. Mm. You know, we've got a relationship and we have got a life and we are enjoying one another's company and this can never be taken away from us. And again, it was just like, I never, ever thought it could end up this good from such a bad start. Yeah. Um, but that, that's God, isn't it? He's just so merciful, so kind, so yeah. inventive, and so relentless. You know, he just doesn't give up. As long as we keep moving, he'll keep steering. And I think it, it, it's probably the most formative revelation I've ever had about anything in my yeah. Christian walk. And it came yeah. the worst thing I've ever done. And you think people think well then you know of course god will have to punish you and i think no he doesn't punish his own he will chastise and discipline but mostly he's in the redemption business yeah. because he wants us fit yeah. back on the front line not you know lying in some unmarked grave somewhere because we stepped out of line and that's not making light of sin it isn't a light thing but when it's dealt with it doesn't exist anymore but i think we struggle <laughs> to accept yeah i couldn't agree more yeah. i i i I'm a big fan that actually if something's in, in darkness, well, it's never good. But as soon as you bring something from darkness to light, well, then it's in God's territory then, isn't it? And redemption can shine. And I yep. think quite often um, my issues are, are not really that I believe that God has forgiven me, but it's more how I, it's more have I, how do I work that out? It's more, yep. I, I've yep. still got to deal with the guilt here and i know that god has forgiven me do you mean but i I've, there's this in sort of internal emotional struggle going on and so i think yeah. i become the bigger problem really yeah um yeah. which then of course you you know without hyper spiritualizing it gives the devil the foothold still doesn't it really exactly. despite exactly. the having been forgiven so it's a it is an interesting one um it isn't and it, it I, I think it takes years to figure it out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It, it of, of walking with God, you try and understand that, you know. Yeah. Interestingly, a guy in our church, when I was down in Chester, a guy called Dave Mitchell stood up and he said, I'm going to share my testimony. And he shared a testimony and there was no ending to it. You know, it's just like, this isn't going well. This is pretty awful. Really struggling with this. And he said, and you're all waiting for the upswing, you know, so and you're going to clap at the end. So there isn't an upswing, but I want to give my testimony now. And then when God has brought the upswing and, 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 then we can all have a, a clap and a mm -hmm. cheer and a worship about it. He said, but the problem is we only talk about the successful mm -hmm. outcomes. We only talk about the success stories. He said, but most of us are at some point in this soon to be testimony where it's all still pretty bleak, you know, and quite dark. But we don't talk about that. So then everybody thinks, well, I'm only valid when I've got a gosh wow story or it's yeah. it's God's grace when it's all neatly parceled up. But some of the things we're involved in, it could be years before it's all mm. done and dusted. 
but the value is happening now, you know. And yeah. I thought that was quite a strong thing to say, you know, that we need to talk openly about it, not to say, you know, you can be whoever you want and God will be fine with it. That's not true. But God does love us. Yeah. But he's also say now listen i'd quite like to talk about a few things and why don't we do this instead and mm. repentance will do you of the burden and 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 so i think we need to be better at talking about this stuff and a bit less precious about our reputations which probably aren't that much anyway so <laughs> <laughs> that's probably a very very wise counsel uh very yeah. wise counsel no, I think I think it's fascinating. I'm kind of curious then, uh, as as we bring this into land, um, which is a very good preacher's quote, isn't it? As we bring this into land, uh, a good metaphor to use it. Um, if you had just one message to speak, um, you get one chance to preach one message um, that's recorded with Betamax cameras at three grand a pop. Um, <laughs> what would the uh, what would the message be? What's been the overarching lesson that you've learned from God? Wow, in one message. I suppose I could have three points though, couldn't I? As long as they are uh, As long as the they alliterate, lesson. you're fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yes. Uh, well, I'd like to uh, talk about perseverance, persistence and determination. <laughs> so <laughs> so I, I think... It, it's about two, it's our part and God's part. God can redeem anything and anybody, absolutely anything and anybody he can redeem. Our job is to plod and not give up. And that gives him something to steer. So I'd say, mm. let's call sin a sin. Let's not pretend it's something else. It's not a mistake. It's not the way you were made. It's not who you are. It's sin. So get that in the open and sorted. God will redeem that, and that's a collaborative process where our main contribution is to stay in the game long enough for him to get the outcome from it that mm. he can. Um, yeah, so never give up because it's not over. Um, and however bad it is, it won't always be this bad. Yeah, yeah, that's very true. Um, God, it takes a lot to defeat God, I think. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, he still yeah. sits you on the throne, do doesn't he? So, yeah. Uh, it's fascinating. So if I now fast forward um, all these years, uh, Mark, you now are heading up We Are Fair Trade, um, yes. which is the successor of Tradecraft, which many people inside church circles will know. Um, it's a response to a Christian response to poverty. It was a pioneering fair, yeah. fair trade organization. I worked for it for a little while. You've worked for it for a little while. And so yes. here you are, sort of uh, modern day Mark, for want of a better expression, um, five daughters, and you're just about to start on this adventure of a of a store called uh, We Are Fair Trade, which is going to be an online shop carrying on the work of Tradecraft. Are you excited about the future? Yes, very, very, very. Um, yeah, and it's, there is a link. So if you read scripture and you're looking for who is God, God's identity as a father is his number one thing. And you, you can read any book in the Bible and God is a father. Mm. The second thing that you will see him identifying himself as is a champion of the oppressed, the orphans, the widows, the people who are being treated unjustly. Mm -hmm. So in both cases, I'm lining myself up with God's fundamental <laughs> nature 
so I shouldn't be able to lose, right? So, um, <laughs> and I think it's it's a privilege as well because it, it's like for Christians to say we care about poverty but not change the way they spend, that's hypocrisy. Mm. But they need to be given a vehicle where it's easy to take the motivation they have, their ethical outrage or the, the sense of injustice that I think many of us feel. Um, mm. We need easy ways to put that into action. We need to put hands and feet on those urges for justice and compassion. Um, so that's exciting to say, okay, how do we harness digital technology? And you know as much about this as I do. Um, you know, but technology is the Roman roads of our time, isn't it? It makes mm. it so easy to get to the destination if you know how to use it. So I think the, the challenge of saying, okay, God is absolutely in favor of what we're trying to do. And there are other Christian endeavors that are also doing similar things. So I think they can claim his protection and his investment too. Um, but I love that idea of saying, okay, we've got God's urges, what God says he wants, an obvious need, an economic connection, and technology to harness all those things together. That feels like something really worth putting a few years of my life into. Mm. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. And so, what do you what do you see the future for We Are Fair Trade? What what what's the sort of the next few years looking like? Do you think? So, I think we're hoping that the groundswell of support for Tradecraft, which was incredibly good at generating insane levels of loyalty from yeah, people, insane. I mean, there are people, yeah. fair traders selling Tradecraft products at the back of their churches who signed up forty years ago when they were mm -hmm. family children and they've stuck with it all that time so i think we need to harness that you know um that intent and that loyalty we have to make a business that is profitable because morals take money you know and mm. if we're going to bless people in the global south we need to make money here in the western europe that will enable us to do the right things yeah. for the people in the south who are producing so we've got to be economically fit for purpose and then I want to build an army of activists. So it, it is about using our weekly shopping spend in the cause of trade justice. But we need advocates, people who talk about it at work, who will talk about it in their university halls of residence, people who mention it in their sermons on a Sunday, people who will be mentioning it on their Instagram and their Facebook mm. pages. So I want to harness that motivation and give it ammunition, you know, stories about producers, stories about what's happening in legislation, easy ways for people to make a small difference. But if a million people make a small difference, that's a giant difference overall, yeah, it isn't is. it? So I think it's that building the the army of activists is the is the biggest challenge. And how do we do that? How do we keep that together? And how do we give it what it needs to survive? Yeah, absolutely. And like, that's how fair, fair Tradecraft started, wasn't it? Just mm. church people mm. just going, yeah, we want to be a bit more ethical in how we buy um, and yeah. selling products at the back of the church hall, which was yeah. which was um, incredible, really. And um, we called them fair traders, what you're now calling activists. And so uh, if people want to find out more about what you're doing with We Are Fair Trade or if they want to find out maybe more how they could get involved as a fair trader or activist whatever the yes. phrase is but um where, where do people do that mark so they uh by the time this podcast goes out you'll be able to go to wearefairtrade.com so that's wearefairtrade all one word dot com um 
or you can email help me one word at wearefairtrade.com and then we'll get you on the email list and then that will tell you what your next steps can be um and then yeah there'll be products to buy on there we're carrying a similar range to what tradecraft did not quite as many different SKUs, but um and then the last thing that we'll want to do is to forge some relationships again directly with the global south mm. so um one or two producers where we they become part of our family so that we really understand the challenges they're facing not just secondhand but we will actually experience those challenges with them so and there may be people out there who can help us with that who already have connections there could be suppliers who want to get in touch and say yeah we've got products that you didn't used to have but that would suit the purpose um and maybe even some investors who might say look I, i'm looking to use my money to achieve something for the kingdom that is close to the heart of god then mm any of those cases then drop us a line and let's just see what uh, what we can do fantastic fantastic so we are fairtrade.com or help me yes. at we are fairtrade.com we will of course add those links into the show notes which you can get on our website um what's the story podcast.com or uh, they will be hopefully in the notes on whatever app you're listening to this uh, podcast on or if you're watching on youtube they'll be in the description so well, let me ask you my final question, uh, if I may. Um, my my uh, odd question, uh, but I think it's an interesting question. Um, imagine you're at the Christian Oscars, right? Okay. <laughs> uh, and you've just won a, your, you know, you've just won the Lifetime Achievement Award, um, and you stand up and you get to thank all of those folks that have had sort of a big impact on your life. You know, like family, mentors, authors, software, podcasts, whatever it is. Who do you thank and why? Whoa, that's a long list. Um, <laughs> well, my first thanks would be to my wife, Hadassah, who is an absolute hero. She's a gentle giant. She's a godly woman and she believes in me and mm. pushes me, pushes, pushes me to go for it, go for it. That's remarkable. Um, she has absolutely transformed my life. Um, Definitely my mum and dad, again, we don't get to choose our parents, but I was so fortunate to get such godly, committed, loyal parents. Um, yeah. I learned a lot about from watching my own father, and my mum was really smart and suffered horribly. I mean, by the time she died, she'd had MS for over 47 years. She was a oh. double amputee, oh. and she was gracious to the point of redefining the word. Uh, to the extent that the entire staff pretty much of the nursing home came to her funeral and they still play the message that she'd recorded over and over. So grace and courage under fire from her. Derek, we've already talked about. Um, uh, I, it feels like name dropping, but I've known Graham Kendrick for 30 years. <clears throat> we prayer walked miles and miles and miles. But again, in terms of the prayer life, He's been a massive influence on me. Yeah. <clears throat> and then, uh, yeah, my girls, all five of them, they've really shaped me and they, ref you know, kids are ruthless, aren't they? They reflect back at your dad. That's just, you know, can't be said. <laughs> they are ruthless, um, yeah. Yeah, but they, they love me and it matters to me. Um, they have, yeah, they've brought meaning to life all five of them to my life so 
And then my best friend is a guy called Eric Camp. Uh, he's the guy who said, mate, you've lost the short game. Uh, it's about mm-hmm. the long game. Um, but we've walked so deeply together. You know, we talk about tools, about building, about the Lord. And I think you've got to have people like that where you can just be warts and all and, yeah. you know, process, you know, polish it. You just say, mate, this is where I'm at. But you know that you're going to get an, a helpful response. And I think... Yeah, there's probably a hundred other people who should be on that list, but uh, those would be my main ones. Fantastic, fantastic. So, um, how do people reach you, Mark, if they want to do that? If they want to get a hold of you? Um, in this context, yeah, MarkAlexanderBuchanan.com. So, Mark at MarkAlexanderBuchanan.com. That's my Christian website. It's got some of my talks and stuff on there. So, either go onto the website or just drop an email. Um, at mark at markalexanderbuchanan.com. Fantastic. And again, we will link to that email uh, and the website in the show notes. Um, Mark, listen, loved hearing your story, man. Totally inspired by your smuggling activities and just love the story (laughs) of God's grace on your life when it all went a bit wrong uh, and just loved hearing the story of redemption. Um, So thank you for coming on. Thank you for sharing, man. Genuinely, really appreciate it. And praying for some wild success for you guys uh, over at We Are Fair Trade. May God bless insanely and intently the amazing work you guys are doing. Amen to that. Thank you for that. Yeah. No, it's been fantastic. A really good conversation. Yeah. Fantastic. Glory to God. It's the main thing, isn't it? Well... <laughs> Some would say it's the only thing, uh, but maybe that's a subject for another podcast. <laughs> so fantastic. There you have it. What a great conversation. Huge thanks again to Mark for joining me today. Remember to check out Crowd Online Church at www.crowd.church, even if you might not see the point of church. We are a digital church on a quest to discover how Jesus helps us live a more meaningful life. We are a community, a space to explore the Christian faith and a place where you can contribute and grow. And you are welcome at Crowd Church, whether you smuggle Bibles or whether you don't. Now, be sure to subscribe to What's the Story wherever you get your podcast from because we've got some more great stories lined up and I don't want you to miss any of them. And in case no one's told you yet today, you are awesome created awesome it's just the way god made you Uh, and you just have to deal with that i have to deal with it mark has to deal with it it's just what it is to be fearfully and wonderfully made what's the story is produced by crowd online church you can find our entire archive of episodes uh, which also includes our church live streams on your favorite podcast app the team that makes this show possible is Sadaf Bainon, Estella Robin, and Tanya Hutzelak. Our theme song was written by the amazing Josh Edmondson. And if you would like to read the transcript or show notes, as I said, they will be available for free uh, at our website, which is whatsthestorypodcast.com. Oh, yes, it is. So that's it from me. That's it from Mark. Thank you so much for joining us. Have a fantastic week wherever you are in the world. I'll see you next time. Bye for now.